welcome to season three of Working Mom Wellness. I am your host, Lisa Bush, and today we are nearing the end of our Alberta Leaders season with our conversation with MLA Janice Irwin. And I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for joining us today. For those of you who have listened two episodes throughout the season. I think you will understand what I mean when I say that this season really has been transformative. The way I look at advocacy, the way I look at leadership, the way I look at community, the way I'm starting to view myself has been shifted through these conversations with these Alberta leaders. These conversations are transferring into my everyday life. Those of us in education know the importance of transfer, being able to take an idea, concept, or abstract and apply it to new and unique situations in your day-to-day living. So when I go through my day and I encounter a challenge, I'm thinking back now to how Dr. Gabrielle Lindstrom described indigenous definitions of resilience. When I see something in the news, I am reminded of Dr. Mina Saleh's explanation of the single story. When I feel my perfectionist tendency spiraling out of control, which seems to happen on a regular basis. I keep thinking back to Jothi Gondek's explanation of balance. I hope that you're able to take aspects of these conversations and use them to navigate your own day-to-day life. Today, we continue the series with Janice Irwin, and I don't even know where to begin. I was so honored to have the opportunity to speak with her. I am completely fascinated with her leadership style. She's an individual who speaks openly, unapologetically, and is very quick to hold other individuals and groups accountable. So she calls out misogyny when she sees it. She calls out racism. She calls out homophobia or Islamophobia or whatever the issue is. However, she never does it in a way that is shameful or dehumanizing. And that is such a rarity in today's society. She gets angry. She gets sad. But as you see in our conversation today, she is always speaking from a place of humanity. And that is an incredibly useful lesson for us, for everyone, to be able to transfer into our day-to-day lives. So let's dive into our conversation today with MLA Janice Irwin. Janice Irwin is the MLA for Edmonton Highlands Norwood. She is currently the official opposition deputy whip and the critic for women and LGBTQ2S plus issues. Prior to serving as an MLA, Janice devoted over a decade to the field of education where she worked for Alberta Education as the senior manager social studies. Janice holds a bachelor's degree in education from the University of Alberta and a master's degree in education from the University of Calgary. Over the years, she served is a board member for several nonprofit organizations and has volunteered with a number of organizations. Janice enjoys an active lifestyle and spending her spare time running and biking and exploring Edmonton's beautiful River Valley. Janice, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Really looking forward to this. So Janice, you were a public school social studies teacher and then you were an assistant principal in rural Alberta. And I think it was around 2010. 
that you returned back to Edmonton and you started working with Alberta Education, focusing on curriculum, and then you went into politics. And I always love hearing women's aha moments or their, you know, their stories of their transition when they feel like they were being called to do something different. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey and your transition from education into politics? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I get asked a lot, was this like a plan you had to run for office? And, you know, how did that look sort of thing? But to be honest, you know, I've always loved politics, obviously being a social studies teacher. And even as a kid, I was pretty interested, but I didn't have this grand vision of running for office and being elected and all those things. So no, what really happened is, as you said, I was out in rural Alberta. I grew up in rural Alberta as well. So grew up in rural Alberta, came to Edmonton for my undergrad left to teach in another part of rural Alberta and came back to Edmonton, which was for what was supposed to be a temporary position. We're working with the government, a secondment, and I would be back in my school board three years later. But plans never don't always work out, I should say. And uh, so that position turned into a permanent one and I stayed in Edmonton. And it was at that time, as I was getting more involved locally in Edmonton, that I really started volunteering with the NDP and I found a party whose values aligned with mine. and. One thing sort of led to another and I just got more and more involved and I ended up running federally to be our member of parliament in 2015 for the federal election. And while I wasn't successful, I stayed involved. It was a really tough battle. We fought really hard and came quite close. But yeah, I stayed involved. And then, you know, fast forward a few years later, the opportunity to run in my same area provincially became available. And here I am. I love the idea that you know, you can come from any type of background, a variety of different trainings and careers and go into politics. And I also think it's important that we hear that you didn't, you know, I'm using air quotes, make it the first time. So it's not about like, okay, well, I'm done. Let's go back or let's, you know, but let's try a different route. And I think a lot of times, and again, I'm speaking in vast generalizations here. I know as a woman, I personally can relate to that. Let's reframe our position and reframe ourselves and try it from a different angle. I wanted to speak on the status of women. and I'm going to try to do this without laughing. I'm sorry, in Alberta. It's a bit of a challenging time right now. And I tend to, yeah, it's a bit of a challenging time right now. So you are the official opposition critic for the status of women and LGBTQ2S plus issues, as well as the official opposition deputy. So in your opinion, kind of how are women in Alberta doing right now? What are some things that you're seeing and noticing? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, you know, how much time do you have? Because I might need a few hours to answer that question. Not well, in a nutshell, not well. One of the biggest, I'll backtrack a little bit. So at about this time last year, we knew that the pandemic was starting and we were already quite concerned about the impact that this would have on women, but also on, you know, marginalized folks, racialized folks, members of the LGBTQ2S plus community, the list goes on. And, and it was pretty early days that, you know, we raised this issue in the legislature and I stood in that legislature and I said, mark my words, if you don't have a plan for women in the economic recovery as we try to climb out of this pandemic, and of course, at that time, we had no idea you know, how long it would persist. But I said, mark my words, if you don't have a plan, women will fall behind. You will see it in the data. And sure enough, we've seen data from across Canada, in fact, that has shown that women have not re-entered the workforce at the same rate as their male counterparts, right? And we've talked a lot, Lisa, about the need for quality, affordable childcare. 
We know that there's no economic recovery without childcare. And we know that the burden of childcare often falls on women. And again, the data is clear, the evidence is clear, and the anecdotes we've been hearing make that very, very much clear. And so myself and my colleague, Racky Pancholi, who's our children's services critic, and of course our leader, Rachel Notley, we've been really trying to bang the drum on this because it's absolutely clear that this pandemic has had a disproportionate impact on women. Yeah, no, and... If I can just share uh, kind of my perspective, you said a year ago, we had no idea, right? We didn't, but you said, mark my words, this is going to be a challenge. And I actually, around this time last year, got, I would call my dream job in education. It was the job that I said, this is the job I want to stay in until I retire. I was thrilled. I was excited. And then when I started to see the provincial response to the pandemic, I had a serious conversation with my husband and I resigned from education. And when people said, why did you resign? I said, and this was last year, right? I said, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go to my job. I'm going to send one kid to daycare. I'm going to send one kid to school. I'm going to get a phone call your kid has to quarantine. And then my husband and I are going to be passing the kids back and forth because there aren't plans in place right now. And so I didn't know, none of us knew, but I could make an educated prediction based on what I knew. What happens in schools as a school teacher, right? And and working in education for 16 years, like we know, and knowing what it's like as a mom, a working mom, married to a man who has his own career with juggling back and forth with childcare. And I just kind of stepped out I said, I can't, I waved the white flag and said, I can't do that anymore. So mark my words. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, and I mean, I think you and I, we can both acknowledge we have privilege, right? As white cisgender women, right? And with economic security. And I just think about racialized women. I think about that newcomer woman who is a single mom. And I just, we don't even know the impact truly of this. And I don't know if we will for many months to come, right? So That's what I'm worried about. And that's, you know, that's probably for me, one of the most important parts of my job and and where I really always try to acknowledge my privilege, any opportunity I can to amplify the voices of others. That's what I'll do. So you stated recently, it was in the 2021 spring sitting of the Legislative Assembly of Alberta. For the third quarter in a row, more people in our province are leaving than entering it. And you said, I meet people who are fighting every day to move our province forward despite being governed by a party that wants to move us backward. I promise you that a better future is possible. I promise you that together we'll get there. And I loved it. And I think, you know, there's so many amazing leaders in this province that have been proactive and that have really been a ray of hope for so many of us here in Alberta. So I really loved hearing that. What is your vision? When we seem to kind of have obstacles on a daily basis, what do you see that will eventually get us moving forward again? Well, yeah. And I mean, it's tricky because I obviously don't have, you know, we don't have all the answers, but we're certainly (laughs) listening, right? And that's a big part. You know, I've been talking to a lot of Albertans and not just people in my orange bubble here in Edmonton Highlands, Norwood, right? I've been talking to a lot of Calgarians, a lot of folks who are traditionally conservative, right? And I do feel like there's a shift happening. But I've also heard, as you alluded to there, I've also heard from a lot of people who are just so frustrated and so fed up and they do want to leave. And, you know, as I said, I can't beg people to stay. I know I can't, but I can certainly tell them that we will offer a vision that will hopefully keep them and their families here because we need them, right? The challenge is it's still two years until the next election, right? And 
So we know there's a whole heck of a lot of work that needs to be done. We know that this is a government that's banking on people forgetting the damage, the destruction that they've caused. So, you know, it's on us, of course, in the opposition to remind Albertans of that, to remind them of this government's track record and their history. But beyond that, you know, I know Albertans are telling us that they want us, you know, in the opposition to oppose, but they also want us to propose, right? They want us to offer a vision. And I get that. We can't just be critical. Of course, there's a whole heck of a lot that we need to criticize and that we need to counter from this government. But we also need to show Albertans that there is a better way, that there is another way and another path that we can take. Yeah, and I think I've been quite amazed by that. I don't think I've ever seen that before in a government. I know that the NDP has been putting out, this is our plan for economic recovery, I believe. This is our plan for getting women back into the workforce. And so to me, that's really a cool thing. It's not, this isn't pass the ball. This isn't blame. This is like, oh, look, we have some ideas. We have some thoughts. We've listened. We've researched. And this is what we're proposing. So recently as well, you were speaking again in the Legislative Assembly of Alberta. And I don't know the whole context, but what I gathered was that a minister condemned you and your colleagues for being angry. And it was about the recent multiple attacks on Muslim women in Alberta. And your reply was, of course, we are angry. Why wouldn't we be? And you aired this video clip in March, March 22nd, in a post with the caption, be angry, be sad, but don't be silent. And I think right now, and this is in my own bubble, but a lot of the women that I talk to, and a lot of us are in education, a lot of us are mothers, we kind of oscillate between sadness and anger. How can we convert this emotion into action? Yeah. And I mean, so you're right. There's been multiple times where we've been accused of being angry and being divisive when we talk about issues like racism. And so I just, it had been truly, there's been a couple of examples of that happening. And so I know I was quite fired up that day when I shared that speech in the legislature, because like, of course, right? Why wouldn't we be angry? You know, as I said, I'm a, I'm a white woman with much privilege, but it's absurd that my Muslim sisters in my city, our city, don't feel safe, right? Multiple attacks, a rise in racism and white supremacy and violence and Islamophobia, And so, yeah, I mean, I get a lot of people asking just what you said, Lisa, like, what's the solution? What can we do to help? And I think it's a lot of things. I think it's showing up as an ally. I think it's speaking out. I think it's intervening if you see anything and you're safe to do so. It's calling it out when you hear a racist comment or a homophobic remark, whatever the issue might be, right? Because it's not, you know, it's so easy to say, well, this is not our city. This is not our province, but it is. It's happening and we need to confront it. And by ignoring it and by dismissing people who are critical as simply being angry or divisive does not help, right? We need to confront it. We need to take action. So those are some of the things for regular citizens to be doing, but we also need action from the government, right? And so calling on this government to take tangible action. I've been reading Audre Lorde's works recently. In fact, I was reading one of her collections of essays last night. And she writes in one of her essays, A Burst of Light and Other Essays, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it's self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Any amount of long-term advocacy and activism involves a great amount of energy, physically, mentally, spiritually, How do you, who seem to be everywhere, you're on Facebook, Twitter, you're speaking in parliament, you're speaking with women's groups, you're speaking with educators, you're speaking with members of your community. 
how do you take time to heal and to fill yourself back up so that you can go back out there day after day and do the work for your communities and the people and the causes that you represent? Yeah, great quote. And I mean, just the whole, to simplify, the whole self-care pieces. We know it's so important and we know beyond self-care, it's about community care. And you know, you truly can't look after others and can't be there for others if you're not there for yourself, right? And if you're not looking after yourself. And so it's certainly something I am very aware of. I acknowledge as well that I'm not necessarily walking the talk at all times, (laughs) to say the least, but I'm very aware of it. And you know, I think There's a few things that I try to do. I try to, when I can, I try to get outside, even just for a little bit, if I can, for a walk, that sort of thing. That's something for me that's small, but does make a difference. Making sure you have a support network, right? I don't, I mean, it's not necessary to have a giant team that you can rely on all the time, but if you have a couple people that you know are there for you, that's just so crucial, right? Yeah. And like I said, it's for me, I can admit that the whole self-care journey is still a journey for me. I'm not the best at it, but I acknowledge it. And that's the first step, right? (laughs) It's a lifelong journey, Janice. It's a lifelong journey. I always say it's never something that you're like, check, (laughs) done. Yeah. And okay, can I ask a quick question? Because you said beyond self-care, it's about community care. I've never heard that before. Oh my goodness. And let me get the exact quote. So this is actually from an amazing woman here in Edmonton, a Muslim woman. Nikita Valerio is her name. Her quote, it went quite viral a couple of years ago. Her quote was shouting self-care at people who actually need community care is how we fail people. And just so powerful, right? Because I think there is, you can be critical of the whole concept of self-care as well. Think about folks who just aren't able to be there for themselves and who need that community support. So I think it's really something that we need to be thinking about, especially now, like the pandemic has highlighted so many gaps in our system. And I said this early on in the pandemic in the legislature that somebody else had said something, so it's not totally an original idea, but something along the lines of, you know, the greatest tragedy will be if we come out of this pandemic unchanged. And what an opportunity we have when we see the gaps and we see just how many people weren't served by the pre-pandemic. I'm putting that in quotes, the pre-pandemic era, right? So really stepping back and analyzing how can we do better when it comes to mental health, when it comes to housing, education, healthcare, the list goes on, right? But I'm afraid, you know, I'm a pretty positive person, but I'm afraid at least in the Alberta context, we're not going to change. And in fact, we're just going to be in a worse position than we were before. I hope I'm wrong. We're not going to change yet. That's right. Can we add the yet at the end? That's exactly it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so to the women who are listening, they might feel a calling. They might have an idea. A seed might be planted that they want to lead, but... They just, they're not quite sure where to start or they have obstacles that they're not quite sure how to overcome. What is one piece of advice that you would give to them? Oh, so that's a really good question, Lisa. I mean, so I have a lot of conversations with women who are interested in running for office, like women who are wanting to take it to that step. But I know that's not for everybody, right? So I also have a lot of conversations with women who just want to know what else they can do how they can be engaged, how they can bring about change, even if it's at a very hyper-local level, like maybe it's change at their school, in their community, in their city, whatever it might be. And I always say like the fact that we're even talking about this is a good sign because you're thinking about it 
And you're acknowledging that you have the ability to do that because we all do, of course. And I mean, it's, I'm getting a little social studies teacher on you, right? You know, active, engaged citizenship is one of the pillars of our social studies curriculum. But it's true, right? I mean, we need people, we need citizens, we need women, we need folks of all genders who are willing to speak out and speak up, not just in the face of injustice, but, you know, at all times. And so my advice is to do it. Like if you're interested in getting more involved, if you're interested in getting more active, And however that might look, it's running for office, amazing. But if it's not, that's okay too, right? I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, Lisa, but it's a conversation I have a lot. Well, one thing you said reminded me of something that I've heard Glennon Doyle say, the writer Glennon Doyle. And she says, a lot of times people will write her and say, how do I know if I'm a writer? And she says, if you're asking the question, you're a writer. Amazing. And so I was thinking, how do I know if I'm a leader? Well, if you're asking the question, you're a leader. And whether that's a leader in your family, yep. Beautiful community, find a place and you're a leader. So awesome. Okay. Final question. When I say the word leader, what is the first thing that you think of? You know, community. Community is the first thing I think of because leaders come in all forms, right? And, you know, I struggle sometimes. I'm not going to lie. I get a lot of love on social media and whatnot. And, you know, people saying like, you're such a great leader. You're a hero, all these things. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I'm just super lucky that I have a platform, but there's a whole heck of a lot of leaders out there who don't get the credit, right? Who do their work without posting it on social media all the time, right? And who do such amazing work at the community level without ever wanting or expecting any credit. So community, that's my answer. Leadership is more than a title. It's more than a position you hold. It's what you do and how you act and how you love and move in the world. It's how you love and move in the world. That's beautiful loving and moving in the world. Okay, Janice, I thank you so much for your time today. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And yeah, just thank you for the work you're doing and keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. Hey, thanks for giving people this platform. Thanks for doing what you're doing as well. It makes a difference. Thank you so much for listening with us today. As always, I've placed all of Janice Irwin's information that you need to connect with her, to support her, to show her some love in the show notes below. You can connect with Janice through Facebook at Janice Irwin, Twitter at Janice Irwin, or Instagram at Janice.Irwin. And if you're interested in connecting with me and learning more about the work I'm doing, head on over to lisabush.ca, or you can connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at lisabush underscore writer, or on Facebook at Working Mom Wellness Community. So we have one more episode next week, and then I'm going on break. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking some time off. I'm taking the summer off. And season four of Working Mom Wellness will start back up next September. So to the working moms listening, feel free to reach out, connect with me. Let me know if there are topics that you would like to see featured on season four of Working Mom Wellness. Are there conversations that you want to see happening? Take care. We'll see you next week as we finish up with our final episode of the Alberta Leaders Series.